Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I said at the start of the sermon, today is our final sermon in our series entitled Stormproof Your Life. And over the course of the last few weeks, we have seen that Jesus is the one that calms storms, that nothing can separate us from God's love, and that our God is an ever-present help in our trouble. God has encouraged us through these messages, and today, through Peter's words in 1 Peter, we are asked to remember Jesus' glory as we go through the storms of this life. Would you agree with this, that that when we think about the past, when we reminisce, when when we become nostalgic, that most of the time, the things that we think about in the past are the good things, things that fill us with good memories, things that remind us of times gone by. It's why older people like me can say to younger people, well, back in the day, things were so much better and different, right? Because we somehow just remember the good things. I'm always marvel. I always marvel that that is a pretty good description of how my mother remembers my childhood. For whatever reason, she's blocked out all the things that I did that probably gave her a lot of gray hair and just remembers a lot of the good things. So I thought we could go back just a little bit. I'm going to take you back to, to your childhood or, or maybe for some of us, our, our own parenting or even as grandparents and Put on the screen some momisms that this person put together. So 10 things, the top 10 momisms, I want you just to see if any of these are ones that you can relate to. All right? Why? Because I said so. That's why. I'm going to give you until the count of three. Any counters in here? Like anybody, parents count? Like, yeah, you got to, yeah, my parents were counters. All right, it's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. I don't know is not an answer. I would never have talked to my mother like that. I'm not running a taxi service. If everyone jumped off a cliff, would you do it too? Someday your face will freeze like that. It hurts me more than it hurts you. And Bob, Sue, Joe, Fido, whatever your name is. I don't know. I still have that problem. I just... When I call my children, I just say a name and hope that the right one comes, right? But when you look back at things like that, we remember things like that, and and maybe they are just even sort of just kind of comical, we laugh at them. But today, Peter is going to ask us to think to the past. He's going to point out something that he and his fellow disciples, James and John, experienced that helped them through the difficulties that they faced in life. He could look back at an event that he was able to experience and witness and remember Jesus' glory even through the tough times in life. As we face our own storms, it's what Peter wants for us too. It's what our God wants for us. He wants us to remember who it is that we worship, to remember who and what it is that Jesus has done. And when we remember his glory, that's the help that God gives us through the storms of this life. That's a theme we'll take from this portion of God's word in Second Peter today, to remember his glory, Jesus' glory. First, remembering that it was visible in the past, and then it is certain for our future. Listen again to the event that Peter points to in the first three verses of Second Peter chapter 1 in our text, verses 16 to 18. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain." 
maybe you remember that event of this Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus literally was changed before the disciples. They saw him in bright white light. Mark's gospel says he was in clothes that were whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Yes, Jesus was changed before their very eyes. So why at this point in his letters is Peter writing about something that had happened years earlier in his life? Well, Peter is talking to the people to whom he writes and he's explaining to them that he knows that his life is winding down, that he's getting closer and closer to the end of his life. And as the people that he writes to suffer, as they face their own storms in this life, they might wonder about the end. Where is this end that Jesus promised? Where is this coming that we've heard so much about? You see, as he talks to people who are living not just for the here and now, but for heaven, for the life that is to come, Peter knows that there are times in this world where it's difficult to avoid doubt. When things that happen in this world have a tendency to cloud our eyes from the glory of Jesus, Peter wants to remind his readers wants to remind us that when we think about, when we reflect on, when that glory of Jesus is in our heart, that's when we're prepared for the storms of life. Peter says the coming of Jesus is going to happen with power. Make no mistake about it. These aren't stories that we invented, Peter said. There's no myth to what, I, what we've written to you. Jesus is the Son of God and he's going to do exactly what he said. And how does Peter back it up? He backs it up with an account of something he and Peter or that and James and John witnessed together. They were eyewitnesses of the majesty of Jesus. Do you get the impression as Peter writes that he's almost struggling to come up with the words to describe exactly what they experienced on that Mount of Transfiguration? He talks about Jesus' majesty and the voice from the majestic glory. It's almost too wonderful for him to describe. But what they got to see, Peter, James, and John on that mountain, was Jesus in his full glory. Jesus as the Son of God. Jesus not hidden in human flesh, but Jesus as Savior, as the all-powerful ruler of all things. That's what the disciples got to see. I wonder how many times after Jesus ascended into heaven, Peter and John and James thought about that event. How many times did they come back to that event when their own lives were not fun? When persecution visited them, when there were threats to the early Christian church, when their own personal health and well-being was at stake? They could think back. Oh yeah, remember? We got to see Jesus. We got to see him in all of his glory on that mountain. And that's what makes all of this possible. That's what makes get, making it through all of these storms of life worth it is that Jesus is yet to come. He's coming back. You and I can relate to that idea of suffering through the things of this life. I, I don't know what you walked through the doors with today that's on your heart and mind. What kind of anxiousness is in your life? What kind of things are troubling you? What storms might be on the horizon of your life? But I do know this. When those storms hit, Jesus' glory tends to be a hidden glory. It tends to be something that, that we can't see past our own pain and sorrow to get to the glory that Jesus wants us to see. Is it accurate for me to say that, that 
our view of God is often deeply affected by the circumstances of our lives. It amazes me how good Satan is at clouding our vision, at clouding our vision of God by making us inwardly focused, by, by letting the troubles of this life distract us from who God truly is. We know, don't we, how easy it is to forget God when the troubles of this life come, when we're so focused on getting through today, knowing that tomorrow is still coming and we have to do it all over again tomorrow. It's easy to lose sight of, of Jesus and what he's done for us. It's easy to lose sight of the goal that we have of an eternal life with him in heaven. That's what makes Peter's testimony so important and so amazing. This Peter was not just an eyewitness of Jesus' glory, but he was an ear witness too. He got to hear the voice of God himself speak on that Mount of Transfiguration. You see, Peter's words are reliable because they're not invented. He and James and John didn't sit around and say, I bet you if we make up this story, somebody will believe it. No, they got to see Jesus in all of his glory. Think about this. The same God whose voice they heard on that mountain that said to Jesus, this is my son whom I love. It's the same God who calls you loved. It's the same God who says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. It's the same God about whom the Apostle John, who was on that mountain, could write, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. On that mountain, Peter, James, and John heard God say this, With him I am well pleased. And because of Jesus, God is well pleased to call you his son, to call you his daughter, to call you an heir of eternal life as well. You see how important it was for Peter to look back, to remember Jesus' glory, to understand that whatever present suffering he was going through wasn't worth comparing to the glory that was his in Jesus. It's good to think back to the past, to remember the storms that God has led us through, knowing that he has a future prepared for us. I love this story in the Old Testament and if you'd like to read about it this week, it's in Joshua chapter 3 and Joshua chapter 4. The, the people of Israel have been wandering for 40 years since leaving Egypt. And now it's time. It's time to enter the promised land. And as they are on the, the doorstep of entering Canaan, there's just one problem in front of them, the Jordan River. We're told in those chapters that the Jordan River at the time that they crossed is at flood stage. And so you have to picture that the people of Israel were standing there at the Jordan River thinking, we need to get from here to there and there's no way. We can't do it. Do you remember what God did? He did the exact same thing he had done 40 years earlier when they left Egypt and he parted the waters of the sea this time stopping the flow of the Jordan River upstream so that the people of Israel could walk across that riverbed on dry ground and into the promised land. When they reached the other side, Joshua instructed the elders of the people of Israel to take a stone, one stone for each tribe, 12 stones in all, and place a stone monument as a memorial on the shore on the banks of the Jordan River. Why? interesting Joshua's explanation. He says, so when you come back to this spot, when your children see this memorial to God, they might ask, what do these stones mean? And then you can tell them, this is the place. 
This is the place where God was faithful to the promises that he made. This is the place where God brought us across the Jordan River on dry ground and fulfilled his promise to give us the land of Canaan. Do you see how thinking back to that event was another blessing, a memorial to recognize God's power, God's faithfulness, and God's love? That's what remembering God's glory does for us too. But there's one more memorial, we could say, that God has given us. The most valuable one of all. He has given us the memorial of his word where we can go again and again to hear of God's promises and to remember his glory. That's the tie between Peter talking about the Mount of Transfiguration and what he says in the next three verses. Peter writes this, We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. See, it's not just Peter's eyewitness testimony that we rely on. It's not just one event on the Mount of Transfiguration. No, God has confirmed the prophet's messages in the Scriptures. Fulfilled in Jesus, his own son who came to this world. It's written down for us to read, to hear, to study, to learn, so that we remember Jesus' glory when those storms of life come. Again, Peter makes the point that this wasn't something he and the other apostles invented. They, they didn't make this up. It didn't even have its origin with human beings. Did you hear how Peter describes the origin of what we get to read, of what God has placed in our hands in his holy word? It didn't have its origin in the will of human beings, but people spoke from God, Peter says. We sometimes call the Bible God's word, and rightfully so. Because that's exactly what it is. Though it was written down by human beings, it's God who spoke through those human beings to give us the word that he wants us to have. Peter uses this expression, they were carried along, the writers of the Bible, by the Holy Spirit. It was God who put the thoughts and the words into the writers' minds. It was God who determined what those writers put on paper so that what we have in the Bible is truly the word of God. Maybe way back when you remember learning that we call that verbal inspiration. That the Bible was word for word inspired by God. The Apostle Paul said it this way in his letter to Timothy, All scripture is God-breathed. In a very real way, God breathed into the writers the very words that he wanted them to put on paper. And in that word, we have an amazing record of God's glory, of everything that God has done to save you and me. And it's all centered in Jesus. Jesus once spoke these words that these are the scriptures that testify about me. That is the one main purpose of the Bible. It's to point people to Jesus. It's to point people to Jesus first as the source of every blessing, most importantly the blessing of the forgiveness of sins of our salvation, of the eternal life that is yet to come. That's what God promises us in Jesus. We see Jesus' glory even as he hangs on a cross, as he climbed that hill called Calvary with your sins and mine on his back and they're paid for every single one of them. 
We see Jesus' glory, especially on Easter Sunday, when he breaks out of a tomb and guarantees that because he lives, we also will live. It's that glory of Jesus. It's thinking back to all that Jesus is, all that he has done, that gives us strength to face whatever comes today. Whatever storms come to our lives, we know who's in control. We know who's already won the victory. We know the glory of Jesus because we've seen it on the cross and in his empty tomb. And we get to come back to it again and again, written down for us in that holy record of Scripture. It's amazing to me that you and I have the blessing of living in this life knowing what our future is, knowing that our future is certain. Would it be fair to say that many people who live in this world, that's one of the biggest things that bothers them is they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next year, at the end of their lives. But because of the glory of Jesus, because of Jesus' victory over sin, death, and the devil, we know our future. God tells us that we have a place with him prepared for us in his very presence in the glory of heaven. As they were on the mountain uh, and Peter was surprised by everything that was happening, you might remember that he actually says this to Jesus, it's good for us to be here. Couldn't we say the same thing today? It's good for us to be here, to hear God's promises, to reflect on Jesus' glory and to remember what it means for us. The Apostle John, one of the other two that was on the mountain uh, with Peter when Jesus was transfigured, wrote this in his first epistle. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. That's what makes our our lives stormproof. It's not us. It's not anything that we can do, but it's relying on the love that God has for us in Jesus. Some takeaways from the sermon today. Number one, when storms in our lives hide Jesus' glory, we remember it by going back to his word. Your faith to trust God's promises comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Number two, God's word is completely reliable because God himself gave the words that are written in the Bible. All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that you and I, as people of God, can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Finally, number three, we rely on God's love to get us through our storms and lead us home to heaven. It's God's love that reminds us that Jesus can calm any storm. It's God's love that tells us that nothing can separate us from him. It's God's love that is our ever-present help in trouble. And it's God's love that we remember, the glory to get through the storms of life. I want to leave you with one last thing, one last memorial that God has given to you and me to lead us to remember his glory, to hold on to the promises that he has made. Just like Peter got to see Jesus in all of his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, God gives us this blessing every time we celebrate his supper. Every time that little piece of bread and that little glass of wine is a part of our celebration, Jesus is giving us, in a miraculous way, his very body and blood. The very body and blood that he offered on the cross to assure you and me, to win for you and me the forgiveness of sins. When Jesus instituted his supper, he said, do this in remembrance of me. That's how we remember Jesus' glory. 
Every time we receive that bread and wine and, and connect, it's connected to Jesus' very body and blood, we remember what our Savior has done. And we know that our future with him is certain. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus, amen.